the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Wednesday, November the 3rd, 2021, in the year of our Lord. Today in 1868, Republican Ulysses S. Grant, he won the presidential election. Today in 1911, Chevrolet Motor Company, Motor Car Company, Chevrolet Motor Car Company, was founded by in Detroit by Louis Chevrolet and William Durant. company was later acquired by General Motors. In fact, just a few years later, 1918. Today, in 1936, President Franklin D. Roosevelt won a landslide election over Republican challenger Alfred Landon. Alf Landon. You probably have never heard of Alf Landon. Most people have not. We've all heard of Franklin D. Roosevelt. Today, in 1992, Democrat Bill Clinton, he was elected the 42nd president of the United States, defeating President George H.W. Bush. Today, in 2004, President George W. Bush, he claimed a re-election mandate a day after more than 62 million Americans chose him over Democrat John Kerry. Today, in 2014, 13 years after the 9-11 terrorist attack, The new 1,776-foot skyscraper at the World Trade Center site opened for business. It was an emotional opening for many, perhaps all of us. One year ago today, Democrat Joe Biden was said to have won the presidency in an election that saw more than 103 million Americans vote early, mostly by mail. They found so many ballots that it took days to count them. They kept finding more ballots. It was an election that was rife with irregularities. It's still being debated, discussed, and litigated. 83 million Americans were said to have voted for Joe Biden. President Biden told the world leaders meeting in Glasgow this week, he got home at early this morning, about 1, 2 o'clock in the morning, but he told the uh, world leaders meeting in Glasgow this week that things are changing in America. Perhaps he had no idea how much they would change on Tuesday, Election Day. I'll come back to that in a few moments. He said Americans who several years ago weren't sure if climate change was real have seen the Lord. (laughs) He used that phrase. And now believe in climate change. Well, there could be a grain of truth in the fact that people are changing their minds about climate change because they keep hearing this barrage from everywhere, the press in particular, but all of the White House and all of the elected officials, pretty much a lot of them at least, are all kind of echoing the same message. But last week, Rasmussen uh, reports found that 51% of likely voters say climate change is a crisis. They didn't believe that at one time, but now they do. But is it? And does that 51% believe in the globalist response? Well, a part of that answer may have been 
uh, found and maybe seen in yesterday's election across the country. It's an off-year election, but nonetheless, it's important. I want to talk a little bit more about that in a moment, but President Biden told the world leaders in Glasgow, quote, the American people four or five years ago weren't sure of climate change, whether it is whether it was real. Well, they have, I'm quoting him verbatim, well, they have, as they say in southern parts of my state, of Delaware, what? In southern parts of my state, seen the Lord. They've seen what happens back home, the incredible changes that are taking place, and now they're finally, 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 finally realizing the sense of urgency that you all are. (laughs) Continuing in his kind of a fake you all southern accent, he did his best with his southern accent. If he's if he was suggesting that Southern Delaware is the South, I I don't but I don't whatever. But anyway, he continued. He said, "I have to acknowledge to you, that's the next big case that I'm going to have to make at home. They now know there's climate change, and they're ready to step up. But we got to make sure they know that the United States has an obligation to also step up financing, financing other other countries that are." uh, have not had the opportunity to do as much damage as we have and have an opportunity to get much better. This pretty much encapsulates the whole idea of progressivism. They find the sin, whatever they may be, and even if it isn't a sin, whether it's racism or abusing the the climate, the, the world, the nature, earth, mother earth, whatever, They find a sin and they declare you or whomever to be the sinner. And then they begin to tell you what your, what your penance will be. And you have to pay these penance. You have to pay these penalties, whether it's giving away the national treasure of the United States of America to third world countries that will dissipate. That money will run through those countries like a sieve. I I spent time there, as you know. A lot of time over several years working in missionary work, and I've seen it. I mean, the dictators, the overlords. I mean, they they get the money. The money doesn't help the people. It just doesn't. The only way to directly help people is, in my view, is through Christian, not religious, but Christian agencies that do such things. Franklin Graham, Samaritans First, and others like that. They get the job done. They actually help people. Government. From our government to their government, the money just disappears. It's like a magical trick. And these guys live in, I mean, they they live big and the other people are living in squalor. And that's why they are third world countries. They're held down by by that kind of leadership. So anyway, when he says we're going to massively move this money from America to because we have abused the, the climate more than they have, so we now have to pay, so we're going to give them all the money. And it, there's a, I guess there's a sense that makes someone feel good about that and say, well, we're doing our best. We're trying to, you know, we're trying to pay for our sins and so on. That is the, that is the picture, if you take a step back, that is the picture of lostness that mankind has. Because once sin entered the world, we sinned through Adam and Eve, and we became sinners. We separated ourselves from God by disobedience, 
And once a person is separated from God, they have this this ongoing desperation of lostness or not being having it just right in their lives. I mean, there's this emptiness. And that's why only Jesus Christ can fill that emptiness in our lives. And all of the reparations, all of the penance we pay, all of the things that we do, whatever it may be, will never take away that sense of, of obligation, that sense of emptiness. And that's what progressivism plays on. It's an anti-God ideology. It replaces God with people at the top of the pyramid of power. And we, we just, we simply, outside of God, we cannot see things clearly. So that, that's where we're living today in our culture, even though we're claiming Christianity, we're claiming spirituality, we're claiming a lot of things, our leaders. But I will tell you, I think they are weighed in the balances and found wanting. So anyway, Biden spoke to the people there and he told them that the United States has an obligation to step up financing because we have sinned more than the others. The nations that are hurting the most have sinned. That was generally what his message was all about. Interestingly enough, the president, he returned from his trip to Europe this morning. He remained silent after his party lost in the blue state of Virginia. Virginia was once conservative. It hasn't been. The president did not speak to reporters when he got off the airplane this morning, Air Force One at 1.06 a.m., he said he had said just before he left Glasgow, he said, oh, we're going to win. They were asking him about Virginia in Glasgow, Scotland. He said, oh, we're going to win. He said, I think we're going to win Virginia. But when he landed at Joint Base Andrews, as Virginia Governor-elect Glenn Youngkin took the stage, the early morning hours to declare victory over the Democrats in a blue state, he didn't want to talk to him. He didn't talk to him. He just walked. I understand it was, you know, the middle of the night and he'd been flying all night. I get that. But he was also silent as he arrived at the White House later on when people were saying, talk to us. What do you, how do you feel? Whatever. He wouldn't talk. He campaigned for him twice. And I'm making a point here. He campaigned for him twice. Barack Obama campaigned for Terry McAuliffe. The guy that, there, there was no competition. Nobody thought that that he would become anything other than the next governor of Virginia. McAuliffe is a, is a banner carrier for the Democrat Party. I mean, he's been in it, and he's been with the people at the top, the, the Clintons, the Obamas. The, I mean, he's one of them. He is one of the elite of the Democrat Party. How in the world could this, what's his name, beat him in an election? Well, it happened. And I will tell you, the media is in meltdown today. They are beside themselves. NBC and the rest of them and their news channel, MSNBC and so on. Even in Seattle, there was a bit of a shift. Don't don't start celebrating. Those of you who live in Seattle, it's not it's not a landslide. 
But there was a movement toward some not conservative, but Republicans, even in Seattle. Hundreds of thousands of ballots remain to be tallied after the election yesterday, but candidates in some of the marquee races, the Seattle Times calls it, they jumped out to decisive leads reflecting trends that are mirrored nationally. So even the Seattle Times this morning is admitting, yeah, well, there's a switch. There's something going on here. They wrote a long article about it, and they're, they're admitting that people are, are beginning to change their minds on some things. They called it Fright Night for Seattle Progressives. <laughs> That's their phrase. Jim Bruner wrote that. I know Jim. I've, he's interviewed me a number of times, and he and somebody else wrote the article, but they're right. Fright Night for Seattle Progressives. The Times says, while they didn't quite run as an explicit slate, the more moderate, business-backed candidates in the city's three most watched races surged to huge and likely insurmountable leads. Bruce Harrell, the former city council president, he hammered Lorena Gonzalez, the current council president, because of her past statements supporting the defunding of the police by 50% and eliminating single-family exclusive zoning in Seattle and all this kind of nonsense. At one time, I don't know what it is right now, but at one time, Harold was 30%, 30 percentage points ahead. I mean, it was unbelievable. He's not a conservative, but he's to the conservatives toward conservatism from her. The city's most contested city council race, anti-racism activist and attorney, this Nikita Oliver, was far behind the brewery owner, that Sarah Nelson. She's been talking to the press a lot. You may have seen that, particularly in Seattle, but she once served as an aide to Richard Conlon, the member that defeated uh, in, in 2013, was defeated by socialist Shama Sawant. There is a shift in Seattle, and I, I'm not going to get more into that because it's it's numbers and details but the point is that that there's a shift taking place and it seems almost prophetic when president biden was on the other side of the world in europe telling them that the people in america have seen the lord using that phrase and attaching it to the fact that we have seen the lord meaning we have embraced his brand the far left progressive idea of climate change, when in fact, in America, in the voting, and we'll see more of this, it'll come out today. I mean, it's still in the process and the counting is going on and so on. But there is a very definite shift toward more, I wouldn't say conservatism in some cases, in in Virginia was definitely toward conservatism. But even in, in Seattle, people are saying, well, I don't think I'm that progressive. Too much. And they're pushing back. And there is a pushback around the country. In fact, uh, there was a meltdown on MSNBC last night. Nicole Wallace, she was on there. She, she says she said that she was trying to, to talk down this Yunkin, the guy that's a new elect, governor-elect in Virginia. She said he worshipped at the altar of Donald Trump. He did not really put much distance between himself and Donald Trump on the big lie or the deadly insurrection. Wallace said, so I think that the real ominous thing is that critical race theory, which isn't real, turned the suburbs 15 points to the Trump insurrection endorsed Republican. (laughs) I mean, that was the best they could do. There's panic in the left. Even 
even some of the far left magazines, widely read, but far left, like Rolling Stone, they're asking Joe Biden why he isn't doing more for the progressives, not less. So there's pressure on this man from every side because he claimed on the one hand coming in to be a moderate and he came in and was co-opted by Bernie Sanders and the and the far, far, far left progressives. And he's gone along with it because his main goal is to be president, not necessarily to help the nation. I mean, I'm not judging him. I'm just saying I'm looking at what he's done and said. And so to try to keep his balance, as politicians do, he's gone along with the strongest wind. And he's been blown way off to the left. People that know him say that's not the Joe Biden they knew in the past. I don't know him, so I don't know the Joe Biden of the past, but I know what he's doing now. And he is destroying America, and people are trying to, starting to figure that out. And that's what's happening in our, in our voting and in, in what we saw in this off-year election. So it's very, very interesting, and I, I think it can be encouraging to people who care about this country and love this country. I certainly do. So you have to wonder if people have been misled on all of these other issues, they've certainly also been led, misled on climate and even if, and Rasmussen is, is very accurate, they're, they're conservative leaning, if anything. And if they found that 51% of likely voters say climate change is a crisis, then they probably are pretty close to on the mark because they, their polling is pretty accurate. And it's certainly not biased to the, to the left. I can tell you that. So if 51% of us agree or are saying that we agree that there's a crisis with the climate, I wonder if we agree with the with the uh, the solution that's being put forward by the president. I don't think we are. As I said, less than two months ago, Rolling Stone magazine published this feature article. It was critical of Joe Biden, but not because of what he was doing, but because of what he wasn't doing. They're saying you you promised to go further to the left. You promised to be more concerned, more progressives. And now you're not doing it. You're not following through. They, they made this big statement. I mean, I don't regularly read Rolling Stone magazine, but I'm aware of what they write about because millions of people read it. And they were telling him, they were pushing him further left. So here's a man that is compromised because he doesn't seem to have real strong personal views about things other than his being president. And he's being pushed and driven by the winds. And even the Bible talks about men that are unstable, that are double-minded and unstable in all of their ways. And I think that's what we're seeing politically now. So when the left the left is demanding more, much more climate action and not so much talk, they say you're talking the talk, but you're not doing what you're claiming that you're going to do. I think they titled their, their article something about uh, less rhetoric and more action or something like that. I mean, it was it was amazing. And they said in their, they said climate is the first and foremost in the mind of the radical left. They said that's what we want is more of that. It's a tool to advance a social agenda. And in this case, globalism. And so here's a man that is compromised. He doesn't know what he believes, but he's president of the most powerful nation in the world still. And he's trying to now sell climate change. And 51% of Americans are believing this. I want to take a look at this today from a biblical point of view. 
just about let's talk about climate change in general just specifically because that has dominated the world news over the last two or three days with these folks in meeting in Scotland and so on. But I want to leave you with four things today that we can talk about a little bit about biblically how we look at this climate change crisis. And this this would apply to every major issue today. I mean, Yunkin became governor, and I, I don't know a lot about him, but what I've read, he seems to be very strong family. Uh, he's got, I think, three kids. I, I saw them last night on, you know, on television. And he's very well-spoken. He's been very successful as a businessman. He and his wife seem to be solid. I mean, I mean, she was talking, and she told the story about how he came to her here some time ago and said, we need to take a walk. We need to have a talk. And she said, I knew something was up because he doesn't take walks. And so they took a walk, and he said he felt his words, she said, to what he said to her was, um, I, I feel a calling in my heart. And I thought, boy, that's an interesting phrase. I feel a calling in my heart to make a change. He said, I'm going to retire from our business. And he said, I, I, I feel a calling in my heart to get involved politically because our country is in trouble and consequently run for governor. Nobody believed he would win. Nobody did. He's very articulate from what I can see, and he's bright, certainly capable, but nobody thought he would win. There's Those kinds of things are happening, and I think this election, I, I, I know I want these things to happen, but I think I see in this election something taking place. There's a movement that the left has completely missed because they have become so complacent because they've had it their way now for quite some time in this last eight, nine months with Joe Biden as president has been kind of the, the glory of their, of their work, so to speak. So we're, we'll see what happens. But God is not through with all of us yet. And, and let's be, don't be hopeless about the political condition and, the cult, and our culture today. I know the culture is going to continue to get worse until the coming of the Lord. I understand that. I've been a preacher and a pastor in my whole adult life. I get all that, and I believe it. But I will tell you that God has called us to be salt and light in the culture as long as we're here. And I want to be faithful to that as well. And I kind of like America, and I like what it has stood for over the years and how we were founded. And I think many of you do as well. So don't be totally discouraged by all of this stuff that we've been drowning in over the last year or two or three or four, but I will tell you that I think there's a change, and I think we're going to see more, not less, of this. People are fed up with it. The whole leftist movement, the wokeism, the transgender, spending days sitting in classrooms looking at your belly button trying to figure out if you're a boy or a girl, and these are five-year-old kids sometimes. They're sick and tired of that. They're fed up with it. Let's talk about climate change for a minute. God is ultimately in control. Scripture is very clear that God is sovereign over everything. Psalm 115.3, including the weather. Psalm 148.8. Check that verse out. We certainly can impact the environment, and we do, but we are not the be-all, end-all of what happens on earth because God 
is in control. We're called to be stewards, to have dominion over creation. But throughout Scripture, we see the balance of man's responsibility and God's sovereignty. In other words, we're co-laborers with God. Paul said that. Genesis 1.28 suggests that. We are co-laborers with God. God is glorified when we show the same care for and delight in his creation as he does. So I'm not suggesting that we just let the let the environment go to hell in a handbasket. I'm suggesting that we have a responsibility, but we don't worship that which has been created, and we don't bow down at the altar of, of climate change, so to speak, because the climate has always been changing. Second thing I want to leave with you is that God has commanded us not to be afraid. There's at least 365 times in Scripture where the Bible says not to be afraid. That's one for every day, if that's the exact count. I mean, I've seen other counts as well, but some have said 365. But we live in a day of fake news, clickbait headlines, and politically driven decisions that the media is obsessed with presenting as the only option to stave off these impending doomsday. Whatever it is, climate change, I mean, it doesn't matter what it is. Everything becomes a crisis because that's how they advance what shots, vaccination, whatever. That's how they advance the far-left agenda. The media always or nearly always presents the radical left climate agenda as based on a large consensus of scientists. If you pay attention, you'll hear that word again and again and again. It is a large group of scientists, but there is a also fairly large group of scientists who have a very different view of temperature change on the earth. And they do not see it as man-caused. That is not a settled science. They say it is. Barack Obama makes a big deal out of it and others. But when the media drives us to anxiety and fear, the biblical Christian needs to pause and remember that God is in control and we are his co-laborers and he created the heavens and the earth and man isn't in charge. And biblically, climate change as it's presented by the left and was in Scotland now and is every year, is not biblical. It does not square with scripture. The third thing I want to leave with you very quickly is that God has promised that the seasons will continue. After the flood, God made a promise to Noah and his descendants that we would be included with those descendants that, quote, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. That's Genesis 8.22. So God says the seasons will continue as long as the earth continues. According to God's word, seasons will continue to be able to grow food. Will the climate change? Absolutely. It has in the past. It will in the future. It could be that in some regions we'll become less productive. Others will become more productive. But even as climate changes, we know that based on God's word, that predictable seasons will continue because God's word says they will, even within the context of change until the end and Christ's return. So ultimately, God's word tells us heaven and earth will pass away while God's word will not. And God's word says that we will continue until the end with the seasons, the climates, the seasons. And the last thing is the importance of human life. Genesis 1.27 tells us that we are made in the image and likeness of God himself, unique above all creatures. The Bible is clear that his people are to be people-oriented. And I would suggest to you that rather than becoming paralyzed by fear of climate change, 
How about we become energized and begin to tell more people about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Because that is the message that the people are missing in this world today. And that's when they will truly see the Lord. Well, I'm out of time, but thank you so much for being with me today. And thank you for your support. We need it. I'll see you tomorrow. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.